Welcome back for week two of our short series, The Joy of Failure. Uh, Like I alluded to at the beginning of the service, we've done this two-week series to focus on one of the least talked about, most common characteristics of our lives. Failure. Uh, Last week we talked about how to find joy when I fail. We went through the story of Elijah, and it was kind of a hard Sunday, I think, for, for some of you, because you're not ready to admit that you're a failure yet. You're still lawyering with God. You're going back and forth with him. God, but what about this? I do this. I say this. I pray this way. I read the scripture this way. Why aren't you letting good things happen to me? For some of you, it was hard because you know you failed. You're willing to admit it. But last Sunday brought back all the emotions. And you remembered all the people that you've hurt because of your failure. This Sunday, we're going to take a little different angle on failure, though. We're going to talk about joy when it seems like Jesus is failing me. We've all had that moment, right? We've looked up at the sky and asked the question, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why don't you do something about this? Maybe it was when a a terrorist attack came against a nation or a city that you loved. A gunman opened fire in a neighborhood far too close to yours. And you thought to yourself, God, how could you let that happen? How, how could you let this safe place that I, that I love and I trust suddenly become a place of danger? Maybe it was with your job. You put in all the work in school. You got the education. You killed all the interviews. But, but for some reason, you just can't seem to land the job. Or maybe you have the job, and the people at your job aren't recognizing how good you actually are at it, and they're giving all the credit to other people. Or maybe you had the job that you loved, and it got taken away from you. God, why would you let that happen? Why don't you do something about this? Maybe it was a a situation with a family member or a friend. You're watching them go through something that you could do nothing about, You just had to watch them suffer. You thought to yourself, God, why? Why don't you do something about this? Maybe it was a little closer to home, though. Maybe it was within your own family. When you found out that your child wasn't going to live a normal life because of a mental illness or a birth defect, when you found out that you weren't even going to be bringing the child home, because the child died before it was born? That your child now grew up and has made a mistake that you can't fix for them and they can't take back. And you thought to yourself, God, why? Why would you let this happen? Maybe it goes deeper, though. (laughs) Maybe it's real personal. Like you went through something in your life that you wish you could forget. Something that somebody did to you that you couldn't stop them but it scarred you forever. Maybe it was a marriage that broke down. Maybe it was a relationship that you trusted that was broken. Maybe you were abused physically, emotionally, sexually. And you think to yourself, God, why? How could you let this happen? Mary and Martha were feeling very much the same way. You heard their lament. They both said the same thing, right, to Jesus. Lord, if you would have been here, 
If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You can hear your own lament in that, though, can't you? God, if only you would have blank, then blank wouldn't have happened. So we're going to walk through this text and commiserate with Mary and Martha, but then hopefully also find joy when it seems like Jesus is failing us. Now, I don't have the text printed for you in the bulletin, but if you want to look it up on your phone to follow along, um, you can do that. Also, I'm going to put some of the verses on the screen as we go. John tells us that a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, it's really important to to stop right here. Uh, To stop right here and get a setting for this story. Because very often, when when it feels like Jesus is failing me, I can start to think it's about me. Obviously, I haven't been doing enough good lately. Obviously, I haven't been praying enough. You know, I haven't been to church in, well, a couple months. Maybe that's why everything's falling apart. But the beginning of this text tells us that that is not how God works. You saw two descriptions of two relationships that Jesus has in this text, right? Mary and Lazarus. Mary's relationship is described as she is the one who poured perfume on Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. Maybe you remember the story. John doesn't record it for us in his gospel, but the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do. Luke calls Mary, not by her name, but by a title, a woman who had lived a sinful life, which was code in their day for a woman who slept around. A woman who more men knew in more ways than they probably should. He says that this woman who had lived a sinful life, Mary, came to Jesus crying, and she poured perfume on Jesus' head, and her tears were so uh, thick that they dropped onto Jesus' feet, and he, she wipe, wiped his feet with her hair. She was all in on Jesus. Because she knew that she had a reputation. She knew that she had messed up. She knew that she had broken just about everything. But she knew that Jesus saved broken, messed up people. Her only hope was Jesus. And so she gave the best that she had and worshipped at his feet. Now her brother Lazarus has a similar relationship with Jesus. In fact, when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, they say, not Lazarus is sick, they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Like Jesus was so close to Lazarus that he didn't even need to know that it was Lazarus by name. He just knew him as, maybe what we would say, his best friend. There's only other, one other person in the Bible who gets a title like this, and that's the Apostle John, who calls himself, when he writes his gospel, the, one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Lazarus obviously was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he still was one of Jesus' best friends. So what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us that if Jesus seems to be failing you, it's not because he doesn't love you. Because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus immensely. And they were all in on him. And yet in this story, it seemed like Jesus was failing. And so start this conversation by banishing the thought that my behavior 
is what's causing failure in my life. Don't let it be true in your mind that your lack of goodness is what God is using to bring bad into your life. We continue with the text. When Jesus hears the report, he says, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried there, to, there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After this, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our, La- our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I, was glad, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now first, I want you to notice Jesus' foreshadowing, right? He starts this section off by saying, This sickness is not going to end in death. But I think it's maybe a little more interesting to focus on what Jesus says next. He says that this happens for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. First, we have to have a concept of glory. Um, Glory is the idea of weightiness or density, realness, maybe you could think of it that way. The picture I like to use to describe glory is like when you throw a rock into a pond. The rock has more glory than the water. The water bends to the will of the rock because the rock is more dense, more real, more weighty. Jesus says that what's going to happen next is to show that God and God's Son are more real, more weighty, more powerful than anything that's happening around them. Now that changes our expectations of the story, right? As we look at this story from a third-person point of view, reading it, it changes what we think is going to happen. If you were to read this story without this proclamation of Jesus that this is going to happen for his glory, you might think, wow, Jesus is kind of a jerk, He hears that his friend is sick, and he waits two more days. What's that about? But Jesus changes your expectations, right? He says that this bad thing is going to happen for his glory. And we're actually okay with that in a number of other settings. Like, we're willing to go through bad stuff if we know there's a preferable end to that bad thing. How many of you really want an extra 100 pounds on your body? Not many of you. But some of you will go purposely do that in a weight room. Why? Because you want your muscles to grow. No one of you wants someone to cut you open with a knife, but some of you have willingly gone under surgery because you know something good is going to happen. Many of you have had children, which I hear isn't pleasant. But you did it because you love that child. You want to bring that child into the world. The good at the end allows you to get through whatever that painful thing is that you're going through right now. So this thing that Jesus is working towards is God's glory, right? Everything that is bad that is going to happen in this story is for God's glory. 
But you might be thinking to yourself, like, that's it? God's glory? You're telling me that I'm going to have to go through whatever I'm going through just so God can look a little bit better. If that's how you feel, you're not alone. Literally nobody in this story gets that. Mary and Martha don't get it. The Pharisees don't get it. The disciples don't get it. Thomas is all like, let's go and die with him. The other disciples are like, wait, is he sleeping? What's the deal here? No one understands what Jesus is saying here. But secondly, if you don't realize that this story is for God's glory, then you're going to end up with a a totally different view of how the story works. You're going to look at everything that Jesus does and say, why would he let that happen? Kind of like many of you are thinking right now about your own lives. Why would he let that happen? But think about what would have happened if, if everyone had trusted Jesus when he said that. If he would have said, this is for my Father's glory and that the Son of God may be glorified through him. And everyone would have said, yeah, we're totally on board with that. The disciples would have been like, do whatever you need, Jesus. Two days, five days, seven days, doesn't matter. This is for God's glory. Mary and Martha, when they had Jesus show up, they would have said, hey, you're here. Finally time for the glory. The Jews wouldn't have said, oh, see how he loved him. They would have said, guess what's going to happen next? See, we have a focus on our own glory most of the time. And that's why we struggle when things are going badly. We tend to think that we are God of the universe. We're the center of the story. We're the protagonist. But the Bible helps us understand that we aren't. God's the protagonist. God's the one this story is about. And that the only thing we are contributing to God's story is, well, sin and evil. And that as long as God is the protagonist and his glory is the centerpiece of what we're doing, things actually get done that are good. Let's see how Jesus does it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So when Jesus shows up in Bethany, he gets two different interactions with Martha and Mary. And I think it's important to examine both of those interactions because you see two different ways of dealing with the feeling that God is failing you. You see that both Martha and Mary come to Jesus with the same statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus gives them two very different reactions because he understands what's in their heart and what they're really struggling with. The first of those is Martha, right? Martha would be, for those of you who can't get on board with God's plan, you know it's God's plan, you've heard it's God's plan, you're theoretically on board with it being God's plan, but you can't get behind it. You try to rationalize everything. 
this happened maybe because of this or, or that, or uh, I'm not sure. See, Martha wanted a logical answer from Jesus. She wanted Jesus to fix it in a logical way. You can hear it implied in her statement, right? She says, even now I know that if you ask, God's going to give you whatever you want. And she expects Jesus to come in and fix everything right away, to make it all make sense. I'm willing to go through this, Jesus, as long as you fix it right now. Now, it's true Jesus can ask the Father for whatever he wants, and he can do it right away, and he will. Ultimately, he does raise Lazarus from the dead, right? But, but he doesn't do it right away because he wants Martha to understand something. He wants her to understand that the gospel is right now. You hear what Jesus says, right? Your brother will rise again. And what does Martha say? I know. I know he'll rise again in the last day. Isn't that the way sometimes we think about our Christian faith? Like, my Christian faith has got me taken care of for the end of my life. End of my life, forgiven sins, going to heaven, awesome. But I still got, like, a whole bunch of years to live here. What am I going to do? Jesus wants Martha to understand the gospel is right now. So what does he say? Those beautiful words that some of you may have as confirmation, confirmation verse, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will be, I am. I am the one who makes alive. But I am not just the one who makes alive, I am the one who is also worth living for. I'm the one who doesn't just adjust your afterlife, but creates a completely new life for you right now. If you haven't realized this, that the gospel is right now, then friends, please dig into it. Because freedom from sin, freedom from your sinful nature can change the way that you live every day. And it's not that you need to be good to earn God's favor. No, none of that. It's a free gift from God. But as you buy into, as you dig into you, as you understand that freedom from the law means real freedom, you'll live completely differently. When you don't have to pull it off, when you don't have to be enough, when you don't have to earn the acknowledgement or the accolades, when you don't have to have enough money, when you don't have to have enough relationships, because all of it has been taken care of by Jesus, you're set free. You're unleashed. It's like going to an event that's completely prepaid for you. You ever done this? Like everybody else is paying, but somebody or you yourself have already paid for it, so you just get to free ride through the whole thing. That's the Christian life. It's all been paid for you. Just enjoy. Live for everyone else because Jesus has lived for you completely. Like a, like a bug or maybe like a snake, unless you're afraid of snakes, I guess, shedding its exoskeleton. You're a new creation coming out of the old you. The old you who was a slave to being enough for everybody else and for God. You're free to live a new life because Jesus is resurrection and he is life right now. Martha finally understands, right? She comes around to it. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world, she says. I pray that every one of you also acknowledges that. That Jesus isn't just your Savior from your sins someday. 
He's your Savior from your sins right now. Now, the second interaction is with Mary. Let's read that. After she, it's Martha, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Jesus reached the place where Jesus was, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have, not, would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Some of you, when you feel like God is failing you, are not like Martha. You're not really trying to rationalize anything. You're just despondent. You have nothing to say, nothing to think. You you just want to cry. You're the type of people who lock yourself in the bathroom and, and sit in the bathtub for a couple hours because you don't want to be in the world when life is like this. For you, Jesus gives a different reaction. He doesn't come to Mary and preach. He doesn't come to Mary and correct. He doesn't come and give her a logical argument. No, he does what the shortest verse in the Bible says. He weeps. He just cries with her. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear. Whatever it is that you're going through right now that feels like God is failing you, it breaks his heart. He weeps with you when you weep. He sits down with you in the darkness. He doesn't say anything. He's just there for you. He listens if, he wants to, if you want to talk or just sits there if you don't. But his heart is right with you. In the same way that Jesus wept with Mary, he will weep with you. We should think about this for a second. Because it becomes more powerful when you realize what Jesus is about to do. In just a couple of verses, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, he's known it since the beginning of the chapter when he said this sickness will not end in death. If that was you, how would you react? The sister of this man comes out and, and she's crying. What would you say? Watch this. But Jesus sits there and weeps with her for a little while. For his glory. So that you understand that your Savior isn't far off. He's right here. Right with you in whatever you're going through. You know, if you're a weightlifter, you might be willing to put that hundred pounds or more on your body. But it becomes a lot easier to put that weight on yourself if you have a spotter or someone to work out with. You may be willing to go into surgery, but you'd rather have someone to hold your hand while you're going through it than to just have them waiting in the waiting room. When you're giving birth to a child, you'd rather have an entourage of people there with you, supporting you, than to do it by yourself. 
God is not a far-off God. He is right with you, holding your hand through whatever it is you're going through. He has not forgotten, and it breaks his heart. But he also does something about it, right? Let's keep reading. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The section starts with that verse that I told the kids about. Jesus once more deeply moved. Jesus once more ticked off at death. Jesus once more bellowing like a victor, a champion going into the arena against public enemy number one. Jesus does something about it. But I think it's important to remember that that Jesus waited two days to come do this. Yes, whatever it is in your life that you feel like God is failing you in, God knows, God gives you the gospel, God's heart breaks with you, and God's angry about it, but that doesn't mean that God's going to solve it right away. He might wait a little longer so that he can show off more of God's glory. It's an amazing miracle. In and of itself, the act of raising someone from the dead is amazingly glorious. But why did Jesus do it this way? Why did Jesus wait that much time? Why did Jesus spend the time working with Martha and Mary before he raised Lazarus? Well, he told you at the beginning of the text. For his glory. If Jesus had gone right away instead of waiting two days, maybe Lazarus would only have been sick. And maybe that healing would have been just like all the other healings. Yes, amazing, but I mean, he can't raise the dead. Maybe if Jesus had gone right away and just healed Lazarus, Martha never would have come around to understanding that the gospel is right now. Maybe if Jesus hadn't gone and wept with Mary, Mary would have always wondered, was he just doing it to show off or did he really care about me? If he hadn't waited until Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, would there have been as big a crowd of people around when he raised Lazarus from the dead? The text says that because he did this, many people came to believe in him. And he also says that's why he did it. Right? He prays to God and says, God, I know you hear me. You always hear me. But I'm just talking really loud so everyone realizes what I'm about to do here. Jesus was showing his glory once again. Look, I'm not going to tell you that whatever you're going through that, that feels awful, that breaks your heart, that makes you wet your pillow with your tears is not bad. But I will say that this true story of a real man who was also God 
who raised Lazarus from the dead, teaches you that whatever you're going through, God is using it for his glory. Would you rather go through what you had to go through if you knew that no one was benefiting from it? Or if you knew that because you did, someone else would know Jesus? Would you be willing to go through what you went through again if you knew that if you didn't, you might fall away? You may not see it right now, God's glory, but it's there. You may not see it ever, but it's there. You may not always like it. It may not make you happy. But God's glory is greater than whatever you're going through. We continue with the text. Therefore, many Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told, Jesus, and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. And with that last dark phrase, we see how it all happened. Jesus has no right to take death's power away from it unless he gives up his own life. Like Caiaphas said without realizing it, one person needed to die for all the people. And it was Jesus. He gave up his life for every person so that he could fill every one of our graves with his own body so that we could walk free from them. And the only reason that Lazarus was able to walk out of his grave was that Jesus was willing to put himself in his own grave. And even if God doesn't solve your problem, that thing that breaks your heart right now. He's promised you that you'll walk out of your grave. Even if it feels like God is failing you the whole way to the end of your life, at the end, he won't fail you. And he proved it because he came back to life himself. The historical, verifiable, reliable fact that Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, was dead and now is alive. And if he can do it, and he can do it for others, he can do it for you. I don't know what's breaking your heart right now, whether it's a failure of your own or a feeling that God is failing you. But if we're going to be a church where it's, not, where it's okay to not be okay, we've got to be willing to say that God's glory is most important. So, I challenge you to not be okay. To let whatever it is come out. To bring it up in your prayers to God. To bring it up with your Christian friends. I'll go first. Life's hard. I, I felt for the last two weeks, even as we do this series, as if God doesn't have a, a, a hand in these things, that 
I've been a failure. I've been a failure of a, of a pastor, a failure of a husband and a, a father, a failure of a Christian man. I'm not okay. But my God broke Jesus' body so that I could be. And my God promised me resurrection so that I could be. And I believe that the gospel is right now. And so I can be. But I need you to keep telling me this. I need you to keep telling me that it's okay to not be okay because Jesus has made it okay. So how do you find joy when it seems like Jesus is failing you? Remember that it's not because he doesn't love you. Remember that even though he may not answer right away, he will answer eventually. And he'll come to you and give you exactly what you need, whether it's a shoulder to cry on or the truth that the gospel is right now. And ultimately, at the end, he will make all things that are wrong come untrue. He won't just fix it. He won't just refashion it. He'll reverse it. And at that point, whatever you're going through right now will seem like a dream, a distant memory, a vague thought of your past. But what will be true, what you can hold on to, are the arms of your Savior. So don't feel like you have to be okay, because Jesus is okay. In fact, he's perfect. He's everything you've ever needed. I pray you trust that. Amen.